0: Hey, it's Jay. And uh, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Like yesterday, I counted how many projects I'm working on. Want to guess? Yeah, it's 10. 10 different projects. Some of them are just for my business, Unthinkable Media, so I can promote what I'm doing. Some of them are related to my speaking business, which also includes my book, Break the Wheel. And then some of them are client projects. Unthinkable, the podcast, has always kind of been the foundation under all those things because it's, I don't know, it's got like so many purposes. It's You can appreciate it hopefully just for the story. There's a journey that I'm trying to unfold every year or two where I'm exploring a big topic through the podcast and that eventually leads to my book. Uh, People can hear me speak, literally hear my voice whenever they want and hopefully stick with me for 30 minutes at a time and that adds up to hours per month. And so maybe they hire me to speak. The show has done so, so much good for my career and my life. It's the the best decision I've ever made. Except also, it's the worst decision I've ever made. Because I make such a highly produced show. It's not just a a talking head show. And while I sometimes rail against how boring and meandering the typical talking head show can be, especially in business, sometimes I'm jealous of those programs. Because it's like, okay, when you're done, you send it to an audio engineer for quick cleanup, and then you're done. There's no editing, no trying to tease out the story, no sound design. And while a lot of that stuff brings me joy... I've also walked around for the past three years of doing this show with constant existential dread. Oh my gosh, I have to get an episode out. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do to work through this jungle of that edit? Uh, It's not coming out fast enough. It's not coming out good enough, consistently enough. It's exhausting. And so I'm exhausted. So I just want you to know that a lot goes into making this show, and I really appreciate your support. If you can rate it and review it on whatever podcast player you use or recommend it to a friend, that goes a long way, not just to growing the show, but to giving me this like dose of energy that I so desperately need sometimes to just keep going. So because of all that, and also because I make stuff for other makers, and when you make stuff for makers, you can give away what you made, but also how you made it. Today, I want to run a very special episode of the show. It's a total experiment, but I, I think you're going to like it. It's fun. It's meaningful. It, it is exhausting. Keep, 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 keep going. It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking at work and the people who dare to question it. <laughs> I'm Jay Conzo, and although I'm tired, I'm excited to roll out the second episode of our Creative Cafe miniseries. Instead of being a story, these are in-depth conversations, the kind of behind-the-scenes cathartic, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm talking to this individual type of conversations that we as makers rarely have, but when we do, usually it's over a drink or over a coffee and we go really deep and we walk away feeling energized. So I want to publish some of those conversations, mostly because I want to have more of those conversations, but I'd also like to let you in on it. So this is the second episode of this series where we're going to talk to Tally Gabriel. She's Unthinkable's producer and co-writer with me. And since she's still kind of new to working with me, working on the show, working with audio in general, I thought it'd be interesting if she could just like pepper me with questions about how we make this show because I don't talk publicly a lot about what goes into making it. And uh, and like I said, it's exhausting, <laughs> but super meaningful to me. So let, let's step into the cafe. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Good to go. Here
1: we are. All right. So when did you realize you wanted to be a podcast host and create a podcast? And what was the process of figuring out how to do that like?
0: So, man, I think I always approach it as I want to try something and not mm-hmm. I want to necessarily like be something or do that for a while. Um I was working at NextView Ventures, which was a seed stage VC firm that I worked for for three years. And eventually, I was their VP of brand. And they hired—I actually hired me as a director of content and community. Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting set up with this head of a nonprofit who was a friend of mine. And uh, and the nonprofit was like thinking about content marketing. So completely unrelated to NextView. But I think in part because I was like showing off my content marketing skills because VCs are profoundly like public with their brands, like people care about what they tweet and what they blog about. So I think like I was getting a reputation for someone who knows content marketing and can be creative about it. So this buddy of mine reached out. and He's like, Hey, I don't know why we haven't done this before. Can I sit down with you and talk about our content strategy? So we just had a meeting. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of stories you could be telling. And I had an agenda. So I said, I think you should launch a podcast. And I think I should host it for free, because I just wanted a chance to try it. And I, I really didn't know what I was doing yet. So I bought all this technology that was a little bit bloated. Because back then, I was like a lot of people, I thought the way to be good at a thing is you buy the tools for the thing, <laughs> uh, which is so profoundly not true. And right. the process was a mess. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I let's see what I knew I wanted to have this podcast matter to the brand. I didn't want to just create like a show I loved because it was no longer just about self expression once you introduce the nonprofit and i knew their role in the boston ecosystem was to connect tech talent with nonprofits so that could be engineers that could be marketers just they wanted the tech community to contribute more to the nonprofit community and so they were this connecting tissue and so i thought okay we're going to do we're going to do a new spin on the traditional business show instead of talking about x topic which everyone else is talking about we will talk about that topic by doing like 10 to 15 minutes of storytelling from a tech entrepreneur and 10 to 15 minutes of storytelling around the same topic from a nonprofit founder. And we'll pair the two together because that's literally what the nonprofit is for. So it mimics the brand and has a direct purpose to the brand. And so I I did three or four episodes. And I remember thinking, I was so good at it. I was convinced I was so good at it because people would say nice things. And now I realize, like, well, number one, I was asking for no feedback that was a problem and so i would just given i would just be like i created a podcast here and they'd be like this is great and i'd be like yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) what i should have done was say here's a podcast like can you critique the first three minutes um i should have done that i didn't so i thought it was great and it was constructed in such a way that most people in business hadn't heard it that way so that the format was so important to get people to react positively that the content, even though the content wasn't that great and my performance wasn't that great, the format was so interesting to them that they thought it was a great show. Does that make any sense at all?
1: (laughs) I think it does. And then did you evolve the content and everything with that format, with that in mind, like knowing the format was the thing that worked?
0: Well, so I only created three episodes because my buddy left the nonprofit and it became more of a burden like trying to work with new people I didn't know and, and they had other questions and th- so they didn't have the whole context. And so I only did three episodes and then we we just sort of churned. I think I've heard people say that's called pod fading. It's like you create a few episodes, and then you die, you pod fade.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> um, so then wh- how did Unthinkable happen after that?
0: Well, there was a show in between. Mm-hmm. So I was wor- again at NextView and I, I loved the medium and I was like, okay, I've seen when you have a smart format it makes up for a lot of ills and then you get better at those things and the show gets awesome. So I was like, I want to get better at those things, hosting, interviewing, constructing the story for audio, all that. And I know I want to create something aspirational, not just like a regular interview show. Cause I was listening to like radio lab and this American life and, and a bunch of sports shows. And I just didn't want to do like talking topics with experts. Cause I felt like, I guess it was 2014. Even back then it was picked over. Today, it's really picked over. But um, so I pitched my partnership at NextView, the three partners and co founders, on doing a podcast. And they were like, I was like, I already have the equipment. I already have a sample to show you. Here's an example. I already have some qualitative feedback from that show, from people we admire in the tech community. Here's some tweets, here's some emails. And they were like, oh, wow, okay. So, like, you kind of have a sense for what you're doing. We know this is still a pilot and a test for us. Like, put together an idea of what the show would be. So I like, I did, I gave them this idea of like, here's what the show would be like and what it'd be for. And here's the ways we could like sustain it. And they gave me the green light, and basically just like gave me permission to go and do it. Um, and so I, I created traction, which was clever and create creative and clever ways startups start. And my whole idea was every VC was creating a podcast where they would give their own thoughts, where they would interview an expert. We were going to create stories. So there was post-production involved with music and sound design, et cetera echoes of Unthinkable today. Mm -hmm. And it was going to have a concept, an angle. It wasn't going to be about Uber unless it was about how Uber started and acquired their first 10 customers. Because it was about seed stage, zero to one problems. Because, oh, by the way, that's what our brand stood for.
1: Were you worried about jumping into a super saturated market of business podcasts that existed and sort of advice podcasts? Or did you feel like your format and your ideas were unique enough that the right people would find you and it would stand out?
0: I know. So the answer is no. And the reason is I actually love the fact when, like when something is saturated, I see that as an advantage because it's so much easier to look at what is saturating it. Like when we say saturated, it's soaked with the thing, right? Now, if it's like the medium, which I don't think actually happens, you got a problem. If everyone's like sick of podcasts, you have a problem. But that's not true. People aren't sick of podcasts. They might be sick of droning 45-minute interviews with the same experts in their niche they've seen on every other podcast. They might be sick of 5 minutes of housekeeping and calls to action and an advertiser before you get to the meat. Uh, they might be sick of you know any other commodity technique you want to name. And I think in the VC world, in the startup world, they were. So I was like, this is great everybody is experiencing the same exact thing and I'm going to create something new and different, which has enough similarities to the things they're creating that it's not like a stunt. So they're not like, whatever he tried to like do something so kitsch and out there that we don't want to do that. We don't want to listen to that. It was like, oh, okay, you're taking what we want to hear and experience and care about and you're just delivering it in a way that's actually delicious. Like that was the goal is like, Everybody in business was focused on the nutritional value of their podcasts. And I was like, let's make something nutritious and delicious because you have to spend time with the thing.
1: Do you think there's something to be said for just choosing a method of self-expression that calls to you instead of analyzing, you know, why is this one the one that the market needs?
0: I think it depends on your goals, right? So like, there's something to be said about self-expression for self-expression's sake. Like to me, that's what Unthinkable started as and really has continued to be until today. When I start thinking about Unthinkable as a vehicle to trigger a result, it dilutes the work because it's to me, it's unbal- I'm really doing it out of self expression and that desire. And then I'm trying to shoehorn in some kind of goal that's different and business oriented. So I, you know, you can just self express. When you introduce the element of a brand, like for Unthinkable Media, when I'm talking to a client, I have to think about, okay, they have business objectives. Um, so I'll, I'll see this with a brand podcast that I don't touch, where it's like, I'm talking to somebody and offering advice, and they ask me about their show. And I'm like, well, why, why did you want to start a show in the first place? And it's like, well, our executive really likes podcasts, or we just wanted to do it because it looked like fun. And I'm like, that's great. If your goal is self-expression. So I say to them, okay, so does that mean you don't care about the like results through the audience, and they were like, "Oh no, no, no! We care about growing audience and seeing results and getting fans out of this and all that." And I'm like, "Okay, well, your behavior doesn't map to that because you just told me the reason you started this podcast was because you wanted to start a podcast. So now you have to go and marry. I think that's a good impulse to start, but now you have to go and marry that with and what does the audience want, right? So don't start with what the audience wants and throw yourself out the window because you'll do commodity work. You'll glom onto trends or that's where clickbait headline. Headlines come in. It's like, well, because audiences will click this kind of stuff. Yeah, but you know you hate that stuff, right? So start with you, bring your taste and your biases and your context to the table because no one else has you. You're the unique identifier, you're the unfair advantage. But then find the Venn diagram overlap of what you want to do and what the audience wants to receive. So I think you can self express unless you care about some kind of audience objective too.
1: And how has writing for audio been different for you? Or how is writing for audio in general different from writing for, you know, a text-based medium? And what are the biggest lessons you had to learn about writing for audio?
0: Well, I mean, the the thing is, audio is... And and I'm not the first person to say this. I learned this from some of the great hosts who have said this publicly. Uh, It's a visual medium in a weird way. And because you have to plant... People are constructing the visuals in their head, even if there's nothing being told as a story, even if someone is giving advice, you're still like, what does this person look like? You know, you're always creating some kind of image in your head. And so when you write, when you script a narrative show, it's even more imperative that you think about that. But I think in all audio shows, audio is a visual medium. And so there's there's some things you, you need to think about. So you need to think about writing in shorter bursts, Like writing as if to be spoken out loud, literally, instead of read. So flowery sentences that might sound amazing, even if they're not overly flowery, flowery, they're just written to be read silently versus spoken out loud. They can be very different. Like you run out of air when you speak. Um, That's one part. The other part is like the way you order things to help with the visual construction in the listener's mind. So there's something called signposting, which you and I have talked about a lot, Tally, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you, what do you, if you had to teach signposting to someone else, what is signposting?
1: It's kind of like, like leading your audience along the, the right path, like giving them the tools and things they need to envision what you want them to envision and to be thinking about what you want them to think about, but not to reveal the big idea or the big conclusion yet.
0: So there's kind of two things embedded in that. So signposting and open loops. So
1: yes, I did combine those
0: (laughs) (laughs) open loops is the latter part which is like i walked outside bent down to tie my shoe and i saw a dog walk by the yard and do something i didn't expect it's like okay what it's you know that's a crude version borderline clickbaity but like an open loop is i'm leading you forward in the progress here and i didn't finish it i didn't close the loop you want to know what happens next right right and so the crude version is you say you won't believe what happens next the the good version, the tasteful version, the more effective version, I th- I think, because you don't notice it, you just experience the whole and the uh, as the listener and the story is when you do a cold open of like a, a dramatic show, you know, like Breaking Bad This is the, my classic example. People have heard me listen. Uh, people who listen have heard me say this before. Breaking Bad opens on a pool, and there, floating in the pool, is a charred stuffed animal, and you hear sirens in the distance, and you see debris and smoke in the sky then they start with the opening credits. That's an open loop. They haven't said anything, but they're creating questions in your mind that you can't wait to have answered. And so open loops are part of that. Signposting um, is when you almost like grab the listener by the neck and point them in a direction and be like, don't miss this. So one of my favorite examples is from Jad Abumrad, the host of Radiolab. Mm -hmm. And he talked about in a super early episode of that show, he was talking about memory and forgetting and how that works in the brain. And he was like talking to this guy named Ledoux. He's, a, I think a researcher and he was, he said as a narrator, he's like, and that's what Ledoux thought for years. But then one day a guy walked in the door, pay attention. We're about to pay, play a clip. We're in this next moment of audio. Somebody will walk through the door. Key moment. Don't miss it. And you can also do it backwards. So he did it before the moment. You can do it as a reflection back. Like, did you just hear what he said? Did you hear what Ledoux said? Let me play it again. Or he said this. Or let's distill that further. So signposts, literally planting signs so people don't miss key cues.
1: I love the concept of audio as a visual medium because I think it sounds so counterintuitive at first. But then when you think about it, when you're listening to a podcast or when you're listening to an audio book, your imagination is just, like running and running and running as you're putting together the information that you're being told.
0: Right. Like, it, you know, the classic example is you describe who the person is and what they look like. But I would ask, is that an important detail? You know, like is knowing like Tally has a uh, brown curly hair and has a, I don't know, a, a bubbly disposition. Like if I were to say that, um, First of all, I don't think I would describe you as bubbly. That's you know? okay. You're definitely positive, but bubbly, I don't know if that's the right word. But anyways. I'll take bubbly. Uh, it's like, not bad. Yeah. So like, does your hair matter to the story? No, like probably not. Maybe if it's about your hair or if about hair and general, right? Right. But probably not.
1: But it's like if people care that much about what the host looks like, they can probably just Google them and it's fine.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Um. But maybe your disposition does matter, right? Maybe that's going to affect what we're talking about. Uh, And then you ask, okay, well, should I tell people or somehow try to show them? And unlike in writing for a blog post, let's say, audio, there's a lot more telling. And that's okay. Like I was brought up to write and you show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. It's beaten into me. Mm -hmm. But in audio, you're actually doing a lot of telling. And you kind of have to because of the nature of the medium. Um, And also, they're just sort of tools. So you kind of like play with both and try to figure out what the right way to illuminate something is. Yeah. But you do a lot more telling when it comes to audio and that feels more comfortable to the listener than if you were to do that in writing and it feels a little bit like awkward.
1: Sure. Shifting gears a little bit. Where do you turn and where do you go if you get totally stuck on an idea if you're just like I don't know where to go next? Or has that ever happened to you?
0: That's so as in like within the edit of an episode or
1: or or when Like planning the next episode, if you feel like, okay, we've kind of explored some big themes and I'm not totally sure where we should go next.
0: (laughs) No, it happens a lot because for me, it happens because of switching costs because I'm working on so many different projects at once, just the nature of my career. But it can also happen if all you're doing is focused on the show. And I think there's there's a couple ways to come at that. So one is like, remember why you started. And if you were starting with, I just want to tell great stories. And then it becomes something more complex with all these tentacles that you like haven't figured out how to control yet. Like just reset and be like, what's another great story I can tell and get you back in the groove. And so I do this a lot, like sometimes and listeners might pick up on this. I'll have a theme like this year. It's consistent creativity by mastering the art of reinvention. Like we're, we're exploring what does it take to reinvent your work over time so that you're consistently great over time. Well, well, there's a bunch of episodes that I'd already interviewed for and a bunch of episodes that I think I just need to get back in the groove that have nothing to do with that. And maybe I'm trying to retrofit them with a lesson, but so often it's not that it's just like, I want to tell this story cause it's great. It's, it's interesting. And now it's like, okay, I have that out of the way. And that mm-hmm. brings me to the next moment where I'm back in the groove with momentum to do something more proactive. Um, so that's one approach. Like remember why, why you started. The other is, when it comes to the, the show concept, and that you can use this to vet if your concept has legs or not, uh, if you finish an episode, what questions are you left with? So I might prescribe to somebody, hey, this is how you reinvent, or the story shows us that this is how reinvention happens. It's not about big pivots and stunts. It's like a gradient where you're making little changes at all times. And maybe the story is about uh, someone who runs a show. Mm -hmm. And so the way that person made little changes is episode to episode and season to season. Well, okay. Most people listening, most people don't have a show. And most people aren't thinking about giant things like episodes or seasons. So the question I'm left with is like, so how do we figure out when is the right time to change stuff? The way somebody running, I don't know, Friends, any sitcom would think about it is they just did 22 minutes of material. Now they need the next 22 minutes. Well like do we have things that have that cadence? I don't know. Right? Or why does shifting between episodes and episode types and seasons? Why does that work? And can we find an analogy in our world? So I have more questions that I'm left with based on that one episode. So that's a really easy way to understand what you do next and also understand does the show have actual legs?
1: That's great. And when you're planning a season, a new season, do you sort of do you try to think about that big picture question before you start recording the new season? Or do you let it really unfold along the way?
0: I think it's like the best laid plans kind of situation. Like I would love every season to be like, I have this nice, neat packaged idea and I want to deconstruct it and explore it. What ends up happening is like, Oh crap. I haven't published an episode to unthinkable in a while. Cause I've been working on three different client projects and my, my speaking and my book. And now the book is behind me and I'm going to refocus on unthinkable. Like, okay. So I'm just going to publish an episode announcing the launch of the book. That'll get me a week or two of people's time. And like, okay, now I have to consistently publish stories again. Well, I still don't have much time because season two of this show is full underway. And like, I'd like to get the unthinkable, but okay. I'm going to syndicate old episodes. So it becomes this, like, I have intention and then reality ruins that intention. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, and then I was like, okay, the, th- this year was my chance. I stepped back, the book was behind me, and I was like, I love making unthinkable. It's the thing I like to do the most, and I spend the least amount of my time on it. How do I spend more of my time on it? And like, there's a multitude of things I've tried to focus on it this year, like one of which, I am speaking to right now, so. <laughs> and it's been very successful.
1: <laughs> Hello. Yeah. If you're, are you ever, or have you ever started to conduct an interview with someone sort of thinking that you have a theme in mind or you have a bigger picture of where the interview will go or where their brand fits into the bigger unthinkable idea of this episode or this season? And then midway through the interview, you realize it's just not going there. And it's taking its own path. And what do you do in those situations? Yeah.
0: So doing a business show or business shows, which I I do now, um, Mm -hmm. executives, especially executives in marketing, but executives in general, they struggle with just talking as a person. (laughs) (laughs) And look, I get it. They might do so many of these things or they maybe worked behind the scenes for so many hours to figure out the message of the brand. That they want to represent it well. And they also have so many meetings with people that just want sound bites. And like I, you know, over time, it's like they're walking in. They're like, I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a PR soundbite machine right now. Like, no, I think they've just been over the years, like warped into this talking press release. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's incumbent upon the interviewer to break them down and make them comfortable and take it in new directions and try stuff. Like a really good example is I was I was actually on site shooting a video documentary series for a client last month and we had a bunch of interviews lined up and one of them was with uh, a marketing executive and uh, this person got really tense and everything they were saying was way too polished. It just wouldn't have, it wouldn't have looked good on camera. It didn't tell the truth. It told the truth that they wanted to leak out publicly. It wasn't interesting. And I think it would have actually isolated some fans instead of made them feel closer to the company um, despite this person's intentions. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped the I didn't stop the interview but my follow-up question after three or four of these moments was like hey who's this dog here I just pointed (laughs) to this photo of a dog on their desk and they started talking really excitedly about this dog and I was like what is adopted oh I have a beagle like let me tell you about my beagle for a second they told me about this dog and like now we're people again now we're comfortable the shoulders go down the breath gets a little bit more fluid you're less tight you're less up in your you know Throat when you're speaking, in the back of your mouth, and like you're just a human. Yeah. And now I can ask a question, hopefully connected to in some way the feel of the dog question. Not that we're talking about the dog again, but something fun, something interesting. I think the question I went back with was So you have a great team. You guys have so much fun here. If you were to go your separate ways and then come back together after a long time not seeing each other, what's a project you've done lately that you would just reminisce about in, in detail? Right? And so it's like kind of similar emotional plane to the dog question. So those are the moments, Tally, where I'm like, I think I know what this person, their role and what they'll serve for the broader story. And then when you get in the room, typically it's not something different, it's something worse. And that, because something different is great. You're like, oh, I didn't know this will so go in that direction. No problem. I'll drop my questions and pursue it. Something worse, you're like back on your heels as a producer and you're thinking about how do i how do i salvage this one and for me so often that's about like trying to make them more comfortable so they actually do get to the interesting stuff
1: do you have any sort of arsenal of like back pocket questions that you would ask any guest if you just totally 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 get derailed or do you really try to keep it organic and have just a conversation with people or some combination of the two maybe
0: yeah so i i definitely have a list of questions. It's not really like a list of specific questions. I mentioned the reunion question just now. Mm-hmm. That's one I have asked a bunch of people a bunch of times. Cool. Um, because it just it's proven to work. But I have like a bunch of I have a few different heuristics. So one of my favorites, they're they're all connected, is how do you get specifics out of somebody who wants to talk in theory? So I'll say, tell me about the first tell me about the first 10 customers. How do you acquire your first 10 customers? And an entrepreneur will say something like well, I think in general, when you're early, it's like, oh, I've already lost you because you're going way to the generality.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: then I'll follow that up and I'll say, can you give me an example? Just very, very quickly, very simply. And sometimes they, they take the hint that that's sort of underpinning the question. And sometimes they just see the question and answer it. But sometimes some people still wiggle out of that and they meander or they give a generality. And so my third follow up to that is, okay, so just so I understand, it was... It was A, and then B, and then C happened, and then, and then what was D? And I'm actually filling them in. I'm not saying A, B, C, D. I'm saying it was this, 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 and then what happened? And I call that putting them in a box, which sounds a little crude, but I, I, I basically build the walls of the box, and then I leave one of the sides open. And if they want to get out of the box, they have to go in that direction, right? And I'm not getting them to manufacture what they're saying. I'm manufacturing what they're speaking to and they can address it however they want. But I'm like, I really want to know specifically this. And you, you've you alluded that several times. So I'm going to put you in a box and I'm going to leave open one door and, and you're going to go out that way. Um, and sometimes I do this in succession with those three questions in a row. Sometimes I'll let it breathe. I'll, I'll revisit it later, but rephrase it. And I kind of have to feel out the relationship I have with the person to know, can I hit them with three questions in a row and have them be fine? And they maybe figure out I'm asking the same thing or do I need to like go in a different direction entirely and come back because I have to build more rapport and I haven't yet.
1: Cool. I just have one last question, um, which is just if you had to pick maybe one or two pieces of advice to give your younger podcasting self, what are the biggest things either you wish you would have known or just the biggest things you wish you could impart upon people who are starting to make podcasts?
0: the well the number one thing for all that i'm going to do to you what i just told people to try to avoid through your line of questioning <laughs> okay i think in general tally when you're hosting a podcast uh, as as an individual uh, no I, I honestly believe any creative project i'll give you i'll give you the generality and then i'll i'll anticipate your follow up and i'll give you an example okay uh, so <laughs> the generality is this i'm producing while we're speaking, this is like this is also what you get to when you do a lot of shows. You you are hosting and creating, and you're also producing and editing in your mind at the same time, uh-huh. uh, which is actually a really nice thing to have happen for the final product. Anyway, in general, when you're creating anything, I firmly believe that the best and sometimes the only way to get great at it is you just do it a lot. Right? You do it a lot, then you consume it a lot, and you do it a lot. You consume it a lot. You just like it's about reps. So. I, you know, for me, I wish I started podcasting sooner. I see. And because I was, I, it was the one thing in my creative career that I delayed on for a while, not because I didn't have the time, but because I thought it was daunting. And then you do it and you're like, whatever, it is daunting, but I'm here now. Like, how do you learn to swim? Do you read books about swimming? Do you talk to an expert in swimming? No, you start to swim and maybe you have swimmies at first and maybe your swimmies are, I don't need to publish this publicly. It's just for me and friends. Or maybe your swimmies are, I'm going to create something I know will be great and play it really, really safe. Uh, Or I'm going to do this with somebody else, or I'm going to do three episodes and then talk to someone else. Right. How was my technique? But I think like, it's fine to put on your swimmies. Also swimmies is a fun and amazing word to say. (laughs) Um, but I, ultimately, you just got to dive in. You just got to swim. So I wish I did that sooner. And, and with podcasts in particular, where that, where that affects you, it affects you everywhere. But most noticeably, it affects your voice. I sound so bored. I sound almost sad in a lot of my early interviews and a lot of my early, especially my early narration. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I'm not talking about like years and years ago. I struggle to to like republish. I know a lot of shows do this between seasons. They'll republish episodes from like last year and they'll be like, Hey, we're busy working on new episodes of unthinkable. But like, here's one of our all time favorites from last year. Like enjoy. I struggle doing that because I'm like, Oh my gosh, I sound awful as a narrator. What am I doing?
1: Why Why do you think you sounded sad? What was that about?
0: I just think I didn't... I hadn't learned how to control my voice. uh uh-huh. I I thought I'd either be yelling if I played it up or I'd sound cheesy. Like, this is a muscle and I hadn't learned how to control it, nor had I developed it. And, like, I think in acting, this is the case. You would know this better than than me, actually, given your your background in, in acting. But you, you can, like, play a scene... Really like large and then play it really quietly, like really small, and to find the limits, right? There's some like acting technique.
1: Oh, yeah. To- I mean, a lot of methods that I had worked with and been taught is to try to go too big first because it's a lot easier to bring it back down than it is to push something out of something that's too small, you know? Like, it's a lot easier to rein somebody in from being hysterical than to try to squeeze emotion out of somebody who's just not giving you anything.
0: Right. So I, I completely agree. (laughs)
1: Like I,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I listened to those episodes and I I remember distinctly in my head. I was like, I am playing this way too loudly. And so because I had that limiting thought in my head, what I did physically was actually play it softer and more subtly than I thought I needed to. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was a combination of I didn't know the limits. I should have done that exercise where I like really tried to go over the top just so I could know what that was like and then listen back to the clip and be like, oh, okay, I get it. So I think it was a combination of not knowing the outer bounds and hearing moments from my favorite hosts who had put in infinite reps and had found their outer bounds and controlled that muscle that is their voice. I'd hear those moments and I would try to mimic how they sounded.
1: Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that's fine to start. As long as you start to insert more and more of who you are into what you're copying, that's fine. I think a lot of people, they're like, just tell me what to copy and I'll copy it forever because I just I don't have the time and I need a result and I'm stressed. But I think it's okay to be like, I'm going to steal and borrow. and and." But then I have to be aware of how do I add more of me? Like you're standing on the shoulders of giants instead of leaning against them like a crutch.
1: Yeah, I think there's something too about the fact that with an audio medium, people can't see your face. So maybe you thought you were sounding expressive and probably if they were looking at you, your, you know, eyebrows would be moving and you'd be smiling or whatever, but
0: I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to say the same line to you three times, same exact line. Tell me which of these I was smiling when I was saying it. Ready? Okay. Okay. So here is the line I'm telling you right now. Here is the line that I'm telling you right now. Here is the line I am telling you right now. Number two, why?
1: Oh, I'm. Some, your voice sounded a little brighter somehow. Yeah, uh, I was right. I
0: mean, you you can yeah. Was you were right. Y- you can hear the smile. You can yeah. hear how the person physically is. Like when I if I crouch down, so here I, I can like really speak in like a tight fashion through the back of my throat right now, and like mm-hmm. not. And I'm not really changing like the tone of my voice. I'm just really tense right now. Or if I like. If I relax, I broaden my chest and I start to speak to you through my chest, it gets this like richer, fuller voice, right? Early on, I would speak so in my throat, in the back of my mouth, and I would not smile. I wouldn't have fun. And a huge transformation for me actually was I I set myself up so that I could wave my hands without whacking the microphone and as soon as i started doing that i started speaking like i was on a stage or like i was talking to a friend or like cuz i'm italian and i if i am if i am unable to move my hands i'm physically diminishing how i speak and you're now hearing it audibly
1: <laughs> yeah it's
0: crazy it's so nuts how that works but it's so obvious
1: um great well that those were all the questions do you get, do you
0: get what you want is it is it i i
1: think so so okay. far is there anything else you feel like we should just talk about while we're here.
0: No, I mean, I want to talk more about the craft and creativity of making shows. And so like, if anyone is hearing this and they really like this and they also have questions, just reach out to me or Tally and we'll do more because I think there's an opportunity. Every time I share behind the scenes, people seem to like lose their minds in a good way, <laughs> uh, which by the way, you just heard me smile when I said that, yes. uh, right? It was very obvious.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: so they, they, I want, to give that, I want to give that feeling to more people more often. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I hold back from trying to teach because I don't want to make this show about me. But I've done this for so long that I'm like, wait a sec, I have a lot that I can talk about, but I just want to make sure it's actually valuable to others instead of it being like the J show. So, because that's not what it is. And um, anyways, long way of saying, I hope that we can do more where we talk about the craft, you and me, because we're learning a lot together. And if we can share that out to the world, Great.
1: I would love that. I mean, this was super helpful for me just as I dive deeper into this world. So, hopefully, it's helpful to other people as well.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for setting this
1: up. Yeah. Thanks for chatting. All
0: right. If you are hearing this right now, that means you're pretty interested in this topic. And so, I want to invite you to subscribe to a new project that is now one of my 10. I'm going to scale back on some things, I promise, so I can invest more in this show and also invest more in this new project. Uh, it's Unthinkable Media's newsletter. Now, I have a personal newsletter that many listeners to this show are on. That's awesome. But this newsletter is going to be a once-monthly email that I send specifically to advance the craft and creativity of marketers making great shows. Lots more companies, lots more marketers these days are creating serialized and episodic content in audio and video. I think it's time that we learn how to do this stuff. It's such an important task for marketers today because our main date is no longer to grab attention. We have to hold attention. That is our job as marketers today. And oh, by the way, a great vehicle for doing that and one we're all starting to wake up to is to make a great show. So if you're interested in this topic, and because you're here, I think you are, check out unthinkablemedia.com slash subscribe. I'll put a link in the show notes too, but unthinkablemedia.com slash subscribe. Uh, Right away, as soon as you subscribe, I'll respond with my five most popular resources about making great shows. And then every month, you're going to get an exclusive big idea, a way to rethink how to make a good show and a roundup of news and resources and insights and ideas. I'm even going to do some show deconstructions where I take a moment or an episode or a concept and I break it down to its component parts and pieces so you can go and be more creative on your program. Anyways, that's the Unthinkable Media monthly newsletter just launched This month, April 2019, unthinkablemedia.com slash subscribe. In the meantime, remember, when you're surrounded by all that conventional thinking out there, uh, maybe trust your intuition instead. Yeah, I think it's a good plan. Yeah, trust your intuition. See ya.